Hello and welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We talk about issues of interest in Maine and often issues that are of interest to people across the country. And today is no exception. We're going to be talking about one of the most serious issues facing Maine right now, which is affordable housing. We've got a terrific shortage of housing units. Prices are high, rents are high, and it's affecting our economy. It's affecting our communities. And most of all, it's affecting the people who are really struggling to find housing. We're going to be talking first with Rebecca Hatfield, who is the executive director or president, CEO, Grand Poobah of Avesta Housing, which is a tremendously successful nonprofit uh, housing development company in Maine that's been in business for something like 30 years or more. And then later on, we're going to talk to my friend, Senator Todd Young of Indiana to talk about some legislation here in Washington that he and I are working on, among others, to try to do something about the problem of affordable housing. But first, I want to start with Rebecca. Give me the lay of the land. Give me the the big picture of the housing issue as it relates to, to Maine. Thank you, Senator King. As you understand, there is a critical shortage of affordable housing in Maine, and there's numerous factors that have contributed to this. And we've seen an unprecedented demand for housing, um, particularly post-pandemic. And so much of this has been brought on, you know, pre-pandemic, there was already an affordable housing issue, and, and that's a result of decades of underproduction of affordable housing. So a few stats say that between 2010 and 2019, less than 4,000 new affordable homes were produced in Maine. And Can I stop you there and ask you to define affordable? So housing is considered affordable when a household spends no more than 30% of their income on housing-related costs. If they spend more, then they are considered housing or cost burdened. If they spend more than 50% of their income on housing, then they're considered severely cost burdened. And the problem is that we're just not meeting the need in any way, shape, or form. I understand there's a shortage of something like 20,000 units, not to mention the fact that 20,000 new people moved to Maine during the pandemic. So we're sort of getting a double whammy. Correct. I would say it's a bit of a perfect storm of a situation. Like you said, the stats are that we need 20 to 25,000 more units. During the pandemic, there has been a significant influx of people from other states who have been able to take advantage of remote working, other people who are retreating from larger cities for a higher quality of life. And that's been compounded by rising costs of buying and, and renting a home, inflationary pressures, creating across the board cost of living increases, labor shortage, supply change disruptions, and material cost increases that are slowing down our production of housing. Well, I said to somebody the other day, the law of supply and demand is one law that we can't yes. repeal here in Washington. And that's really what's going on here, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's there's a limited supply. The realtors call it no inventory. And there's rising demand. And that means for existing units, prices are going to go up. Correct. I often, you know, talk to people or sit on panels or give presentation. And the fact is, it is supply and demand, Senator King. We have a significant demand and we are not creating homes at a pace to keep up with that. Avesta alone, I mean, we measure stats in terms of how many applications we receive each year and we've seen the demand firsthand. So Avesta received almost 9,000 applications in 2022 for 750 available homes that we had. That's 12 times the supply that we had during that period of time. The number of applications that we received in 2022 is almost double what we received in 2020. That's heartbreaking. And because each yes. one of those 9,000 people, that's a, that's a family that's, uh, that's struggling to find a place to live. One of the things that I always think about on this issue is 
the high cost of construction of materials. I mean, you may have a developer who says, I want to do affordable housing, and they go and build something, and their mortgage is such that they, they have to charge market-based rent, which is higher because of the cost of building the unit in the first place. Yes. And that's where creating affordable housing and developing affordable housing is very, very hard from a numbers perspective. And that's where things like the low-income housing tax credit and subsidies come into play. And so our construction costs, as they were rising through the pandemic, every single year they're going up 15 to 20 percent. We are experiencing the same cost and expense increase that every other developer is experiencing, but we're not able to just increase the rent to answer that, to take on more debt, to pay for the increase in developing. Well, I, I do understand, though, that things like wood and plywood and some of the building materials that has a, have at least stabilized and, in fact, come down in yes. the last six months or so. Is that true? Yes. And I think for us, it's been something, you know, it was very hard during the pandemic trying to respond to some of those cost increases. And fortunately, some of that has leveled out and come down. But construction is also impacted by a labor shortage of construction workers, of subs. As you know, many people are aging out of skilled trades, and that's creating a challenge. Well, there's a labor shortage in Maine, uh, practically everything from uh, Maine Med, uh, Maine Health a couple of weeks ago. They're short a thousand nurses. And it sort of feeds on itself. I've talked to businesses and employers who have lost prospective employees because those employees couldn't find housing. It's sort of a vicious circle. Absolutely. And I speak to many employers who tell me the stories of employees that they've lost, that even if they can recruit new employees, and that's where housing really plays a critical role in building an economy. Now, do you do uh, multifamily units as well as individual homes? We do uh, solely multifamily properties. Okay. So we own and operate about 100 properties, almost 3,200 units across Maine and New Hampshire. And it's all multifamily. Now, explain how the low-income housing tax credit works and how it, how it works for you. Yes. So the low-income housing tax credit is allocated from uh, Maine Housing, our state housing authority, and it's a competitive process. And it's allocated to them from Washington based on us passing the, the law that creates the tax credit here. Then it's allocated to the state housing agencies, allocated to you. Then what happens? And then they go through rulemaking and they allocate it through a program each year. There's two types of tax credits. One of them is allocated through the qualified allocation plan of which developers compete for. So we submit a project that has various features and criteria. Um, and if we score high enough, then we receive an allocation of tax credits. But credits the tax credits aren't useful to you because you're a nonprofit. So correct. you sell the tax credits to someone who needs the tax credit and that provides the equity for the project. Is that the way it works? Yes, absolutely. So we have institutional investors that will come in that buy the tax credits and provide the equity to the project. And then you borrow the, the remainder. And then do you operate these 3,000 units? You, you manage them yourselves? Yes, we, we manage the majority of our portfolio ourselves, and we own the majority of our portfolio ourselves. We do some third-party management as well. Now, talk to me about other options. For example, the legislature a year or so ago, I think, passed a bill that said everybody can have an accessory dwelling unit on their property. I know that's somewhat controversial, but could that help? Absolutely. I think zoning has been a significant barrier in the past, and zoning reform can be a solution in the future. That can create more options for housing. The other thing is increasing density. So zoning in Maine is often only allowing single-family homes. And if you can change that to duplexes or condos or multifamily housing, a little bit higher density, 
you start creating more options to create housing across Maine. That can bring the cost down because the land itself is a significant cost. And if you can have more units per acre, that's a lower cost per unit based upon the land cost. Correct. Land and infrastructure costs are significant. And so if you can spread that across more than one home, more unit, two homes or multifamily, it starts to make it more cost effective and affordable. Well, one of the things I've been talking with people about is the fact that all over Maine, when you drive, particularly when you get outside of the towns and cities, you see all these big old white houses, probably with three and four bedrooms. Often an elderly couple lives there. What about a program that would uh, renovate those houses add a couple of units and have the couple that owns them get some income and create some units. And then you don't have to build new roofs and foundations. You're, you're working within existing infrastructure. It really is frustrating to drive around and realize there, you know, within 20 miles of Gorham, there are probably uh, 300 or 400 empty bedrooms. Absolutely. And I think this is where accessory dwelling units can play a huge role in the housing crisis. As you know, much of Maine is rural. And all of those single family homes out there, the ones that you're talking about, is there an opportunity to build an accessory dwelling unit or to convert the house so that, you know, maybe the couple that is living there can live on one floor and then you can create another unit or another bedroom and rent that out to somebody else. There's also a benefit to that in terms of older adults who are suffering from isolation. If they're bringing in another person who's living there, a family member or a neighbor or a younger community member that can help them. There's a lot of benefits besides just creating housing. Well, another option that goes back into our past for some period of time is the old-fashioned boarding house, which hardly exists anymore, where you have three or four bedrooms, a common dining. Is anybody doing anything like that? Is that allowed anymore? <laughs> it's not as common. And I think it's you know out of preference in terms of how people are used to living. I think in some scenarios, it makes sense. There's still group homes and supportive housing that are built in that manner. But for those who are coming from a single family home situation or from an existing apartment, they prefer the privacy, but you can still create a community even if you have, if it's not in that setting. Well, one thing our conversation has, has indicated is there's no single solution. Correct. Uh, we've got to do everything. We've got to talk about the cost of construction. We've got to talk about renovation. We've got to talk about zoning. The low-income tax credit is, is actually one of the biggest benefits. How about things like Section 8 and, and low-income housing supports uh, generally? I understand Section 8, which is basically a voucher to assist with rent. The people with Section 8 vouchers can't find a place even if they have a Section 8 voucher. Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. And it's hard because you want to keep in mind the holistic approach. I mean, fundamentally, we need to build more affordable housing. But I would also say on the other side of that, you still have to have income in order to afford, for instance, a low-income housing tax credit apartment. And so that's where housing vouchers become really important. There are people at the lowest income band do need rental assistance. And so, as you said, it's not just one solution. You need to be thinking about all of the solutions because when you bring all of those solutions together, it makes an impact. But it does start with the creation of housing. And we, we're, we're talking about working people. I think I read somewhere where a person who works full-time at a minimum wage or slightly above minimum wage, can't rent a two-bedroom apartment anywhere in America. That's the basic math. Correct. And we've That's got situations now where uh, policemen, fire firefighters, uh, uh, municipal employees can't live in the towns where they're uh, defending. Yes. And I think that's where people ask the question of, 
who lives in affordable housing. And I want to say it's some of your most valuable members of your communities. It's teachers, it's daycare workers, it's police officers, firefighters, your grocery store clerk. These are the people could be your mom, dad, sister, your child, right? Who's just coming out of college. Right. These are the people who are living in affordable housing. It's no different than, you know, the people you see walking around in your community and they play a very important part in your community. They should be able to live in the community that they work in. I think that's a, that's really important for people to remember that we're trying to help the people that who help us on a, on a daily basis. I can't leave the interview without asking you whether you've seen the 3D printed house up at Orono. I have heard about it. I haven't had the opportunity to see it, but I have I've heard a lot of amazing things about it. Well, you you have to go see it. I I visited it and it's uh, you'd move into it tomorrow. It's really nice. I didn't know quite what to expect, but it's very cool. The question is, what does it cost and what would it cost or will it cost if they could build them at any kind of scale? I think they're planning they built one and they're planning to build 10 more up there. Uh in the Bangor area, but uh, that's an interesting option because it's an entirely different construction technique. And rather than two by fours and sheetrock, it's it's a uh, it's a bio-based substance that they're using, which is made of wood fiber and corn, which is another good thing because it's a use for the main forest. But uh, you really ought to take a look at it. And anybody who's listening, I urge you to to visit the Orno campus and see this uh, house. It's quite uh, it's quite an accomplishment. Orno has the world's largest 3D printer. They printed some boats for the Marine Corps, but now they're uh, they printed this house. So uh, maybe that'll be the breakthrough we've all been waiting for. And maybe they can print them in a number of configurations that they can be bolted together and form a, a multifamily unit. I, yes, if we can print housing and it's cost-effective and sustainable, I think that would make a huge difference in our ability to increase our production of housing and address the affordable housing crisis. Well, I take it. I'm going to be talking to Todd Young in a few minutes. And as you know, he and I are working together with with actually it's quite a good bipartisan group on increasing the uh, low income uh, tax credit, which is your bread and butter. I think I know the answer to this question. Do you think that's a good idea? I think it's an excellent idea. The low income housing tax credit is a proven and valuable resource to creating affordable housing. And I think the more we can do to improve and expand it, the bigger impact we can make. And I'm truly grateful that you have signed on to support the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. Well, everything I've seen is that it works and uh, we're always looking for programs that work. So yes. <laughs> uh, thanks for the work you've done. Please give my regards to Dana Totman, who worked so hard at, at Avesta for so long and taught yes. me what, what I know about this subject and keep in touch with us. And as ideas come forward, I mean, you're on the ground, you're on the front line. Let us know, let me know uh, what you see as ways to improve some of these programs and uh, particularly ways that you find that we might be able to lower the underlying costs, which would make it better for everybody. Absolutely. And anything we can do to help inform policy and advocate, we are willing to do. I think the more we can get the word out there, we can show the data and show the proven models. We want to do that. We want to move this conversation forward and we want to make impact. And we appreciate what our members of Congress and um, those at, in our state legislation are doing to make a difference. Well, the good news is this is an entirely bipartisan issue. Uh, as near as I can tell, it's uh, it, it's got strong support from both sides, all sides, and uh, we're going to keep working on it. Rebecca Hatfield of Avesta Housing, thanks very much for being with us on Inside Maine. Stay tuned to us now because coming up, we're going to have Todd Young, 
senator from Indiana, who's been a real leader in the area of housing. And we're going to talk to him about what's going on down here and what we can do. Uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us on Inside Maine. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and today we're talking about housing, and we just spent some time talking with uh, Rebecca Hatfield at Avesta Housing in Maine, which develops uh, affordable housing, and talked about the, the real crunch that we have in our state. But guess what? This is happening everywhere, and my next guest uh, really knows that. Uh, it's Todd Young, who's been a real leader in the Senate on housing issues. Uh, Todd is from Indiana. Todd, tell me about the housing situation there and what sort of provoked you to get uh, deeply into this issue. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Angus, and, and for partnering with me on some of these issues. And, and you're such a leader, so it, it means a lot to uh, express your interest in this topic. This is, this is really a national challenge. Uh, you see it in Maine, you see it in Indiana, of course, uh, we read and, and, and hear about it in California and other places. But I saw a recent article that sort of sums things, sums things up, Angus, for every 100 extremely low income households in my state, there are only 39 affordable and available rental options. So you've got a hundred families out there who are just struggling to get by and put food on the table. And uh, out of those hundred families, about 40 of them uh, can't even find good rental options. So we need to increase supply for uh, for our workforce. We need to increase supply for people of the, of the most modest means. And we see this transcends geography, not just across states, but uh, urban centers out to our rural communities and small towns. And, and, and I think we need to emphasize that these are working people. Yes. Uh, these are these are people that are that are working hard, full time jobs. I saw a similar figure where uh, people that are at or slightly above minimum wage working full time, nobody, nobody in America in that situation can afford a two bedroom apartment in the, in the current in the current situation. So uh, you're right. It's all about supply and demand. And uh, we've got to we've got to stimulate supply. Tell me about the 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 uh, the low income tax credit because that's been one of the most effective tools in Maine and I know you've been involved with it for some time and now you and I and, and a bipartisan group are trying to extend it and modernize it. Well, yeah. Listen, the, the low income housing tax credit has uh, now for at least a generation uh, been it, it's a public private program. And it's been used to very effectively and efficiently uh, resource uh, those who, who want to build more workforce housing. But the, the financing, if we, if we just rely on the free market, may not work entirely. So uh, it, it, it helps subsidize uh, what for is, is a national uh, imperative for all of us. And this, what, what we aim to do through this legislation is, is to make that program more generous. 
You know, when you lower tax rates, as Republicans recently did in our 2017 tax reform effort, your tax credits are worth less. So we want to compensate for that. And uh, Senator Cantwell and I, who, who co-authored this legislation, uh, aim to build more than 2 million more affordable housing units through the low-income housing tax credit uh, program over the next decade and ensure that this program better serves a, a variety of at-risk and underserved communities. Historically, this program has led to three and a half million affordable housing units. So we want to add another two million to that over the next 10 years. That's a pretty substantial increase in our nation's housing stock. And, and, and I think it's important yeah. to point out for our listeners who think we never work together down here and we don't get along, uh, yeah. that you're a Republican, Maria Cantwell's a Democrat, uh, I'm an independent, and, and the bill, as I, as I recall, I think we're now up to like 16 co-sponsors that are pretty evenly split. So uh, this isn't a partisan issue. Well, that's right. And, and the reason it's not is just because we're all hearing about this from our constituents. We're hearing from employers. We're hearing uh, from, you know, individual uh, constituents uh, who have been looking for housing and they can't find any, any available housing in their price range. We're hearing from builders and, and, and so many others. And uh, just to have a functioning economy and a functioning society, you got to have enough places to live. Well, that's that's really important because the, people think of it as straight as a straight up housing issue, but in Maine, it's an economic development issue because our employers are either losing or unable to get employees because they can't afford to live anywhere near the job. So it's a it's becoming a drag on our economy as well. As, as the straight up, as I say, lack of lack of housing. Well, housing affordability is, is one of the top issues for the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. It, it, it was not a few years ago when I began working on various housing affordability solutions. So this is clearly a, a business issue in, in uh, every state. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it makes sense that it is. Uh, it hinders economic development if, if, if you can't get enough people to build houses near where the jobs are. It undermines uh, labor mobility, uh, decreases investment in our economy, and it undermines morale, too, uh, among those who are seeking housing and among those who, who, who want uh, to build more housing near, uh, near their businesses. So, well, of course— you know, I, I really like our bill, and and I'm I'm given the broad support. I think we may have a shot at it, but but there are lots of other things. I mean, this is this problem. I mean, you mentioned it. There, there are not enough construction workers to build houses. Yes. Fortunately, the cost of materials is coming down a little bit in in recent months, so we're we're that that's a help. But part of the problem, Todd, as I see it, is it's too expensive to build to build housing. I mean, it's it's a uh, even if you uh, are you know doing it as best you can, it's still hard hard to build anything that's affordable without some kind of subsidy like like the tax bill. Oh, that's right. In the wake of the financial crisis and in, in 08, so many of our uh, small 
uh, construction companies went out of business and they still haven't recovered. Uh, and, and so we're dealing with quite a bit of that uh, to say nothing of the fact that we just we, we need more workers to come into uh, the United States and we'll get around to immigration reform, I hope in fairly short order. Uh, we'll secure the border in a way that we can all live with and, and, and then ensure that we have enough workers to build the houses we need. And so that's that's part of the solution as well. Uh, as is something you spoke to, the supply chain issues, we need to make sure we have all the inputs that we need. Maybe we can lower some tariff barriers here and there. So there's a multifaceted approach we need to take, but we also know that our federal government will continue to play an important role in the financing of, of these uh, houses for working class Americans. And as long as they do, we need to continuously improve the largest program that does so, and that's the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program. Well, well, it, it doesn't strictly relate to housing, but uh, what you said about immigration and, and it's, it, to me, Todd, there's sort of an obvious uh, solution here, which involves border security, number one, and then uh, reform in such a way to uh, get more workers, to get more uh, H-2Bs, H-2As, and, and, and legal immigrants. Uh, because that's 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 part of the workforce, uh, and uh, that's something I I'm hoping we can find some bipartisan support on that. I'm I'm hearing that from uh, all around the Senate right now. Yeah, and and you know I'm 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 hearing it from all around the Senate. I'm actually hearing it from all around my state uh, as well. From. Uh, the cities to the towns, from red areas, as we say these days, to blue areas. Uh, I think there's an emerging consensus that uh, we need to crack down on, on uh, those who would violate our laws, but at the same time recognize that uh, one of the real strengths uh, of the American economy uh, for generations has been uh, the, the ability to absorb more people, the, to welcome them in, and to encourage them to, uh, you know, pursue, pursue their dreams through our free market system. Well, one of the things on housing, and, and I suspect this may be true in rural Indiana, is in Maine, we have a lot of big old houses with uh, one or two people living in them, usually an elderly couple, and uh, I, I want to see if we can find some way to stimulate the renovation of those houses into multi multifamily uh, units and give that elderly, elderly couple some income and also create some units without having to start at a green field with foundations and roofs. Uh, do you do you have that? I bet you you can drive around Indiana and see a lot of great big white houses that uh, with three or four bedrooms that aren't fully occupied. You know, there are a lot of beautiful old houses uh, out in our rural areas. We take a lot of pride in those uh, as, as Mainers do as well. And um, you and I should maybe uh, huddle up on that. I know you've mentioned it to me in the past as, as you're so good at doing on the Senate floor socializing the ideas you have. You know, Senator Cardin and I are working on some legislation that is sort of thematically consistent with, and, and Cardin, for the your listeners, is a Democrat. 
And that's, that's called the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act. And, and this would actually target homes that are in a great deal of disrepair, maybe blighted areas. And as, as you know, Angus, you, you, you'll find out that you can acquire these homes and try and rehab them. Uh, but then if you try and flip them, try and sell them in the free market, it doesn't, it doesn't cover your acquisition plus rehab costs. So our aim through a tax credit is to cover the gap uh, that occurs between uh, those numbers. And uh, we think doing so, uh, you, could, you could create millions more uh, habitable houses around the country and, and go even further to addressing some of the housing challenges people have. So I think it's really important uh, that you and and I and others are putting forward our solutions when it comes to this. And I think, you know, it's going to make a real meaningful difference over the long run. Well, one of my favorite sayings is there, there usually isn't a silver bullet, but there's often silver buckshot. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot, right. A lot of, a lot of smaller solutions that will add up. And that's exactly what we're we're trying to work at, work at. And I, I can't help but uh, mention that uh, you and I, uh, have worked together in the past. We were the first senators to meet Mohammed bin Salman when he took over Saudi Arabia two or three years ago, and we had a very direct uh, conversation with him. I think we need to go back. There's certainly a lot of lot going on over there, although uh, I don't play golf, so that's not part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play golf uh, either, but uh, I, I agree. That would be uh, really interesting. Uh, Maybe we, maybe a little fun uh, too, uh, just to uh, uh, to to see what's new. But um, listen, I just I'm I'm so privileged to work with you and and uh, look forward to working on this uh, policy challenge. And, and don't and forget, don't don't forget, Todd, the RV caucus. Todd's the leader of the RV caucus. We had a session the other day, and he got an award. The hero of the RV industry. I have an RV that was built in in Indiana, as a matter of fact. I, you've got a lot more street cred than I do <laughs> when it comes to the RVers. Uh, <laughs> I know the community really well, and, and we try and work hard for them, but I'm not sure I can compete with a guy who spent so much time on the road. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, we'll we'll find a way to work together on that. I haven't found a kind of a lobster angle for you and I to work together, but uh, I resolve to do so, Angus. I'll see what I can do. Well, listen, Todd, thanks very much for taking the time to join me, and uh, and let's continue working on this housing problem because it really is it's uh, it's an economic issue, economic development issue, and of course. It's a it's an individual family issue. It's heartbreaking that we've got these families that that can't find a place to live. We've got homeless people, and and uh, I think it's something that we we really ought to be getting after. And delighted to work with you on it. So thanks thanks for taking the time, man. You too, my friend. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for being with us on Inside Maine today. It was housing inside Maine and inside uh, the U.S including uh, my friend Todd Young, senator from Indiana, representing the Hoosier State. And it's something that we're going to try to continue to work on to expand the programs that will expand opportunity for housing uh, across our country and, uh, of course, in the state of Maine. 
Thanks for being with us, Angus King on Inside Maine. See you next time.